As we can tell just by looking at ourselves, some things have changed since 1988. But in so many ways, we are still the same people. Here is another story of one of us, the humans of 88. My name is Rebecca Chioko King Orian. My mother is Japanese American. My father was a Caucasian guy who was born in Texas. They actually met at Carleton. My experience at Carleton was really interesting because I came from a small rural high school in Ulaga, Oklahoma. So I arrived into Carleton completely overwhelmed and intimidated. I was 17. I'd never lived away from home. I had never lived actually really in close contact with boys before. And people at Carleton were so smart and so worldly and cosmopolitan compared to me. I came in really intimidated. And I think Carlton changed that. I became confident in my own abilities, but also being exposed to people from all over the world and people who were like wicked smart helped me to develop a real kind of openness and curiosity about the world. At Carleton, I was one of the first people to graduate with a teaching credential as well as a degree in sociology and anthropology. I think that some people would have taken the teaching credential and taught sixth grade for the rest of their lives. They would have really been good at it and enjoyed it. But I think that Carleton made me more curious. I don't think I would have ever expected to get a PhD from Berkeley or to be a professor or to live on three continents. The initial spark of interest in other cultures, interest in other people, curiosity about the world, thinking about other people other than yourself. They say, I have itchy feet, <laughs> wanting to travel, wanting to see the world, wanting to learn more and be, a, be, be really a curious lifelong learner. I think all of that really came from Carleton. Our first child, Asan, was born in 1998 in Berkeley. And our first daughter was born in 2001, also in Berkeley. We were living in a tiny house and commuting very long distances to work. So I was driving over the Bay Bridge every day into the University of San Francisco. And my husband was driving to UC Davis, about 60 miles north of Berkeley, pretty much every day. And our kids were in childcare from seven in the morning to seven at night. We weren't seeing them. Money was really tight. And I think the other big thing for us is we weren't near our family. So we spent all of our vacation time traveling to Chicago and to Dublin to see family and to make sure our kids knew their grandparents and their aunties and uncles and cousins. And so quality of life became unsustainable in the Bay Area. It was a lot of fun when we were young and single and could had lots of time to be involved in community activities. Kind of a funny story uh, about Carleton is right after graduation, I went to Chicago and I was a sixth grade teacher and I loved being a sixth grade teacher. Some people hate middle schoolers. I taught 12 year olds. They were so much fun. First of all, they're a riot because they'll just tell you anything. And second of all, every day was different. It was in a, quite a wealthy community, but actually there were issues of child neglect. Parents who these kids were totally unsupervised came to school without a winter coat, shoes that didn't fit. So just because you're in a wealthy community doesn't mean that you don't have issues with your students. But then after two years, I decided to apply for the JET program where they bring native speakers of English to teach English in Japanese public schools. And I applied to Kumamoto Prefecture, where my grandmother's family had come from. So I lived in a community where nobody spoke English for a year teaching English. So it's quite isolating. But about halfway through the year, Andrea Spala, 
also was in Japan teaching English. And I went to visit her when I arrived. She was living in this teeny tiny apartment. It didn't have a shower or a bathtub. So she and I had to go to the public bath together. We just had a great time. It was so, so much fun. And it was just so great to see her again. And it was almost as if we had never left Carlton. Our friendship just sort of clicked back into place. We started talking about our experiences in Japan and all the old ladies in the public bath were staring at us. It was just a great experience and much needed support for me at the time because I had felt so isolated. To be with uh, such a good friend from Carleton and someone who also was kind of going through the same things as me at the same time. It's a strong memory I have. My husband is Irish. He's a, what they call Gwilgor. He's an Irish language speaker. My children are mixed race. The kind of Hawaiian term for someone who's half Asian is hapa. My kids jokingly say they're kwapa because they're a fourth Asian, but they have a very strong relationship with their Japanese American grandmother. And so they do identify as Japanese American, even though they don't look Japanese American. They have Irish first names, Japanese middle names, and then obviously uh, an Irish language last name or surname. I think that the way that people see them in Irish society is as totally white Irish kids. But they often say that they're like undercover Asians. So they're really, really sensitive. Like if someone starts to say something racist about Asians, they get really, really offended really fast. And I think it's because they have such a, a personal, emotional connection to people who are Asian. I would say one of my greatest accomplishments in life is actually being the mother to three great kids now young adult, two of them are young adults. Now, I think it's kind of tough to be a young person today. The world that they're inheriting is not the world that I had hoped we would be giving them in terms of climate change, in terms of the political instability. Two of them were in college during the pandemic. And I think we're going to be seeing the effects of that for decades to come in terms of the effect on young people. But I am, of course, fiercely proud of my kids and the fact that they have some skills of coping and resilience. They also have chosen to continue in education. My son is a PhD student in microbiology living in Lisbon, Portugal. So again, I sort of inherited the intrepid explorer spirit of, you know, going to a country where he doesn't speak the language and having to make all new friends and starting in a new program. And my daughter, who is in Galway, uh, studying psychology and very interested in kind of helping young people, particularly young people with learning difficulties. My husband is an interesting guy. So he came to Berkeley to do a PhD in sociology, and he was a year behind me. He arrived off the van from the airport, and I was working the front desk. (laughs) So as they say, I checked him in, and I checked him out, right? You know, he was quite interested in getting married. And I sort of said to him, well, I need to see Ireland, and I need to meet your family. I don't want to try to make any decisions until I've done that, because I think I sort of knew in my heart of hearts, when you marry an Irish person, you marry Ireland as well. So when a job came up here, he hesitated to apply. And I really encouraged him to apply. I sort of thought, you know, this is this is a good chance. And let's go and just try it and see how it goes. 20 years later, we're still here. So obviously, it's going okay. Currently, I'm an associate professor of sociology at Maynooth University in County Kildare. The, the kind of everyday life things are very different here. We pay relatively high tax, but all of our health care and education are basically free. Paying taxes has allowed more equal access to education and health care in Europe than 
would ever exist in the United States. They're not going to come out of college with a lot of debt. And if they get sick, they have access. The pandemic was really interesting. When the pandemic first happened and we went into lockdown, there were very high rates of compliance in Ireland with the lockdown restrictions when vaccines became available. Over 90% of people in Ireland voluntarily were vaccinated. And a lot of it was a strong sense of community and responsibility for your neighbors, for the elderly, for um, people who were more vulnerable or maybe health compromised. I teach about racial and ethnic inequality across the world. And I I often get asked by students, how do I identify? And I would probably argue that I identify first as Japanese American, second as probably American. I mean, I'm I am proud to be an American. I get homesick. I miss America. Uh, I miss my family in America, but I'm also an Irish citizen. So I'm also Irish. I was actually in a taxi in Dublin not too long ago. And the taxi driver, who is a real dove, said to me, where's your accent from? You're obviously not from here. And I said, well, I'm from Chicago originally. And then he said to me, "Where, where are you really from? And I said, well, actually, I was born and raised for most of my life in Chicago. And he said, no, no, but where are your parents from? And then I said to him, well, I think what you're asking me is what is my race or ethnicity? My mother is Japanese American. My father is Caucasian American. And then he was like, oh, he's like, I knew it because you didn't get that tan in this country. I was at a camogie match, which is a Irish sport that my daughters play. And I was shouting from the sideline, you know, go team. And the ref came over at halftime and asked me, was my accent a North Kildare accent or a South Kildare accent? He was teasing me, though. Students know that right away. And, and they tease me. I mean, Irish people love to tease each other. They tease me a lot about being American. We have a phrase in Ireland, oh, she's just a blow in, meaning that she's not from here and that she's come from somewhere else and is just living here. And my neighbors tease me that I'm a blow-in, that I, even though I've lived here for 20 years, I'm still not of here. We have what we call the kind of Cade Mila Falcha spirit of Ireland, which is the land of 100,000 welcomes. And they are very welcoming of visitors. When you actually want to stay, it's a little bit different. Like they're very cautious. It was several years before I was invited past the doorway of my neighbor's homes. But now... I think they accept me as one of their own. I think it was a slow process to be accepted as a member of the local community. And and I'll always be a blow-in. I'll never be kind of truly local or truly Irish. By the time I arrived at Berkeley, I was really aware of being mixed race after, particularly after having lived in Japan and being totally rejected as a Japanese person. It started me thinking, I and actually my the second book that I published is a book called Global Mixed Race. And it basically looks at the mixed race experience in 12 different countries across the world. And one of the main things that mixed race people in all those different kind of disparate situations have is that they're neither fish nor fowl. They're neither white nor Japanese American. And that that can be quite difficult for a lot of people. I I always say Carleton is a way of life. And I think that I carry it within me, even though my classroom is very different. We have 500 students in first year, so it's not possible to do the seminar style teaching that most of us had at Carleton, where we had conversations with a full-time professor. Here, that's just not possible. But I still try to use the Carleton principles in my teaching, which is I always start every lecture with kind of a puzzle or a query or a question. 
And I try to get students to talk, even in a room with 500 people, and to really try to think critically and think realistically about solutions to social inequality, in my case, because that's what I'm teaching. And I think that that model of teaching comes from Carleton. It's difficult for Irish students. American students are much more willing to speak up in class and to express their opinions. I think Irish young people are a little bit more shy or reluctant to express their opinions. So I think it takes more work to, to get them there, but they, they definitely have opinions. I think I really lacked confidence at Carleton. I felt very overwhelmed by how smart everybody was. I think now as an adult, when I look back, it makes me sad that I lacked confidence. I was afraid to go to my professor's office hours. Like, what was I going to say? You know, what would they think of me? And it may not have looked like that on the outside, but in the inside, I was afraid, you know, I lacked confidence. Obviously, now I look back and sort of laugh and think that was so silly. I mean, nobody, nobody cared. So I think in that sense, yeah, obviously, I think as we age, we become more mature, more confident. We don't second guess. After 50, all bets are off. You can just kind of be whoever you are. And, and it's okay. It doesn't matter anymore. Nobody cares. Maybe nobody ever really cares. Professionally, I probably won't move. It, it's very difficult in an academic career to move kind of mid-career or even kind of at the end of your career. And I don't think I would want to move because I'm not sure I could go back to an American institution of higher education. I, I think the demands that are being placed on academic staff now to raise tons of money. For me, that's not why I got into education. I am working on a really fun project right now, looking at young Asian male TikTokers across the world. This came out of a project before this, which is, is sort of winding up, was on the global popularity and spread of Korean popular culture, particularly pop music, and sort of how digital technology has increased the kind of ease and spread of and popularity of Korean popular culture across the world and why you get people in Maynooth in County Kildare in Ireland trying to learn Korean, want to meet Korean people and want to travel to Korea because they're such big fans of BTS. I have started thinking about what does the next phase entail? I'd love to volunteer more, whether it's at the public library or um, tutoring kids or whatever it is. It would be nice to sing again. I was a nightingale at Carlson and that was a really fun and unique experience. Uh, my husband doesn't know it, but I have big plans for us to travel. And I think that would be fun. It would be great to have more time to be able to travel to see family and friends, but also to travel to places that I've never been that I'm really curious about. Thank you, Becky, for telling us about you and how you ended up across the pond. It's nice to hear where everyone's at. Whether you're going to be at Reunion or not in June, it would be great to hear more about you and great for you to listen to us. Thanks for listening.